0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. The Z-Man is back from the Cleaning Industry Research Institute conference at the Miami of Ohio University. We've also got the executive director of Siri, John Donnie, joining us. Looking forward to, I think it's a a great opportunity for listeners to get a quick rundown of the various presentations at the Siri conference and uh, get some, some highlights and key points from both Cliff and John. So before we do that, let's thank
2: our marquee sponsor, IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors
1: Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, SIRI, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C. Zlotnik at cs.com, or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question.
3: Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to John Lapoteur, Indoor Air Quality Solutions, Orlando, Florida, who was first to identify Kevin McCarty as Florida's first director of the Office of Insurance Regulation. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, July 19, 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. Name the publisher whose idea it was to have a cleaning research organization which resulted in the founding of Siri. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. I think
1: most listeners know John Donney. John is the uh, founder of the original, I think it was Clean Facts, and then he has uh, been in the industry doing some things such as editor of the IICRC Journal, and now he's the executive director of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. Uh, they just had their conference this week at the Miami of Ohio University, and I heard great things. I want to welcome John. And uh, John, do we have you on the line?
4: Sure, do.
1: Hi, Joe. Welcome, John. Uh, John, first, let's start with the the you know the Siri perspective. What what is Siri's role in the industry?
4: Well, Siri is the in, is the industry's only uh, nonprofit that is a C three nonprofit. Well, I keep looking at my face really big in the screen in it. (laughs) uh, Siri is the industry's only C3 uh, type of nonprofit dedicated to doing research and promulgating or publicizing or communicating science to the industry. Uh, Siri does basically our clients, if you will, there are three primary classes of clients for Siri. The first is uh, scientists and researchers, those who develop the science and and, uh, do the research. The second primary class of membership are trainers and instructors, those people who really need to uh, be up to date on the research on the science in order to communicate it within the industry and then the third class is, uh, and this will seem may seem a little bit unusual or odd initially, but it's trade associations because Siri is able to provide to trade associations information that they are not able to get otherwise. I apologize. I'm home and there's dogs barking. It's of course it always happens that way. So uh, Siri. Uh, Uh, aspires to work with trade associations we don't have any trade associations as members yet although we are talking to some Uh, and um, we feel as though that is the most effective way for siri to reach the industry overall uh, with science and research is is you know basically as a with the associations as a conduit to their members so we will be providing to the associations unique benefits that they can pass along to the people that uh, are their members.
1: All right. Let's, let's turn it over to the Z man. Um, I wondered if you could describe and contrast the format of this week's Siri conference with other conferences and meetings you've attended over the years.
3: Well, I think um, most other meet or most other meetings, you know, typically have presentations that might go uh, several hours in length, down to some which might go, you know, a half hour or forty-five minutes uh, or an hour. I think what was very unique about this was that uh, it was almost like a shotgun uh, uh, approach where. Uh, the event was divided into into sessions uh, that had a common topic or common topics of, you know, things that kind of joined uh, the speakers. And every speaker was limited uh, to somewhere between 12 and 15 minutes. They were asked to uh, complete everything within 15 minutes, and the there, there were no questions until after every presenter uh, had presented. And then there was a, uh, you know, a coordinated question and answer uh, session done by a moderator. And the moderators did really, really great job. They were very well prepared uh, and and handled it real well. John may want to add something to, uh, to my comment. John.
4: Um, Actually, Cliff Cliff did that really well. And and from my perspective, I, you know, I, with especially with, with uh, Steve Spivak who developed this uh, this particular pr- process within the industry it, it's called lightning presentations and um, Steve attended a conference uh, I believe it was about a year ago where uh, it were it was lightning presentations that were used and he found that not only very informative but he kind of lively compared to a lot of technical um, conferences and you know I I think we can all appreciate especially when we're looking at science and research that can be pretty dry now you don't have a lot of motivational motivational speakers that are talking about uh, you know charts and graphs and a different uh, measuring uh, devices, di- different measuring methods, and things like that. Um, so longer presentations are more difficult unless you have people that are super interested in that particular information. So the lightning uh, uh, process for speakers is designed to to really get people who are the speakers very narrowly focused on, in a, on a particular area. And um, subject area, and then being very tightly focused, they present ten fifteen minutes worth of information in a very concise way. And and the the uh, the benefit of 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 that of the Q um, and A Q&A afterwards is then the people in the audience can uh, basically help the speaker and illuminate everybody in key areas that maybe he did not have a chance or she did not have a chance to get into deeply in the initial presentation, but that they have an interest in uh, further exploration during the Q&A session. So it's just, it's a unique process. We tried it. We, honestly, we did not know how Well, it would be received or how well it would go over and I for one and and it's good to hear what Cliff had to say and we got a lot of very positive uh, comments at the conference it seemed to go over extremely well it seemed to uh, come together really well Um, the the uh, information uh, the information that the different presenters had and there were six sessions uh, each with a general theme. And then, but within those six sessions, there were either three or four individual presentations. And those three or four individual presentations, uh, frankly, they weren't coordinated. They were presentations that we solicited and we were working with the, the individual presenters, but we weren't sure exactly how well they would uh uh what's the word I'm looking for
3: um, Mash like, together?
4: Yeah, yeah, sync and and work together. Mm-hmm. and um it you know our hope was everything would work reasonably well, and I feel like uh, from from the feedback that we got, it really worked very well. It uh was to my mind, pretty amazing how uh, coordinated <laughs> how much more coordinated they seem to be than they actually were okay well let's
1: let's get into some detail on on the different presentations i want to start with the keynote uh called old friends new threats biofilms and now come the Superbugs" by greg whiteley uh let's start with you cliff can you give us a little rundown on your key points from that presentation
3: yeah, I had some really good takeaways from that. Uh, he's an excellent speaker, and uh, you know, his, he's third generation uh, in, in the chemical manufacturing business. Well, my takeaways are as follows. Uh, soil and biofilms are not the same thing. Uh, biofilms are a constructed community of bacteria. Uh, bacteria communicate within biofilms. Uh, enzyme cleaners, the dominant product, Uh, used in medical cleaning for cleaning things like endoscopes and so on and so forth do not remove deeper bacterial uh, colonization. Uh, Biofilms can't be easily wiped away. Uh, Genetic tracing and tracking, uh, this is very interesting, is going to open up litigation in the future because with today's technology, you can actually take someone and go back and determine where the infection uh, where, where they caught the infection. Uh, also, he was talking about endoscopes, about how hard they are to um, how hard they are to clean. And I, it was interesting. I ran into an old friend, a fellow by the name of Joe Arigo, uh, who who I've known in the industry for probably 25 plus years. I just hadn't seen him in a while, and we were talking. And he happened to we had breakfast together one morning, and he actually told me that what. Uh, Greg w- Whiteley, Dr. Whiteley had described happening, had actually happened to him with an endoscope. He ended up getting nicked during the procedure. He ended up becoming very, very ill uh, for a very, very long time. And it was exactly what uh, Greg told us was going to happen, and he experienced it firsthand. So perhaps John has some additional takeaways from it. John?
4: Um, really, I, a couple things. I'll Well, a few Preliminary comments, more about all the presentations. I'm probably not the best one to uh, with takeaways from the presentations because I was so busy at the conference trying to make sure everything was uh, going smoothly that uh, I'm not sure how, uh, you know, I, I was there for all but one of the presentations, but I wasn't always that focused uh however i do have a, a little bit of a few a little bit of a takeaway from uh, i i would say all of them uh but in, and sometimes i'm going to be talking less about the details of the presentation than of the presenter or the atmosphere surrounding the presentation uh as far as with with greg's presentation a couple of things that i i you know I, and i kind of knew this ahead of time uh that i wanted to um to mention one is uh greg is a a unique individual in our industry in that he owns a manufacturing company and he's also a a phd level scientist and researcher who believes strongly in sharing research Uh, and the 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 his presentation was based on research that he has done and others have done. Um, his theory, and it's one that I, you know I, I so agree with, and but unfortunately find so um, unusual in the in the cleaning and restoration industry is that you know what we all benefit from from uh, gathering good data and sharing that good data. And he trusts that his company will be able to use that data to, to develop effective products. And he's not worried about, you know, keeping things closely held and, you know, and with the threat of other companies um, using the information he develops against them. He just doesn't worry about it. And his company has been extremely, it's small comp- relatively speaking, but it's extremely successful uh, in his area of expertise. And, and Which leads to the second thing is, um, Greg, Greg's company, most of their products and, and most of his research is in the area of cleaning, re- cleaning and uh, disinfection related to hospitals and other healthcare facilities. So you know what he really focuses on, and when we're talking about endoscopes, that's, uh, I think that's a that's one great indicator. Uh, but and he was also ta- he talked a lot about biofilms and the difficulty in effective cleaning as a consequence of uh, uh, the te- uh, tenacity of biofilms in protecting. Uh, contag various types of contagions so uh, and and, and uh, another thing that I picked up was you were talking cliff about the uh, uh, litigation that we can expect before too long in, in that area um, he was also talking about some specific new or newer bugs that uh, are you know and and they're always coming they're always new newer bugs that are threats to human health and uh he 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 describes some that are here now, and we haven't really heard much about them yet, but we're going to okay all right
1: that's you know I like what you're saying though about him being open with his information uh just a quick little anecdote we we get requests all the time for people to come on the show. We Cliff and I just recently got one from a a manufacturer of a disinfecting product. And when we asked them for the, uh, you know, for for information about their, uh, what they'd applied for as far as patents and what the, you know, what, what the, what the contents were of the product, they were very reluctant. In fact, they wouldn't tell us anything without signing a non-disclosure agreement. So uh, it doesn't make sense to me, John, if you, if you got a great product, uh, I, I agree with Dr. Whiteley, uh, let the world know and let them know how it works and why it works. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to talk about it, but anyway, let's, let's go over to the next session, which was threats to human health, infection control, pathogens, exposure, and the human microbiome. I, I, the first speaker there, I believe was Richard Shaughnessy, Dr. Shaughnessy, who's been a on the show a couple times, a friend of the show. Cliff, thoughts on that presentation?
3: Yep. Um, well, um, I think Joe, you and I know, and I think John knows that uh, Dr. Shaughnessy married a woman from Scandinavia, and I think that she changed his life in in many many ways. And uh, because he's traveled there and has family there, uh, you know what he's learned is that Scandinavia actually, you know, when compared to other parts of the world Uh, has a culture of clean. They take cleanliness. uh, It's a very, very serious issue there. Uh, He said historically, ash ventilation rates in the U.S. have been based on odor control reasons, uh, not anything else. Uh, He's done some studies and found that increasing outdoor air increases student performance uh, in schools. He's done a lot of work in schools, and Dr. Shaughnessy and and Siri actually did a a program in conjunction with the ISSA on ATP testing and determining cleanliness uh, in schools. Uh, He said that opening windows doesn't always provide fresh air, and he just showed some examples of, you know, what's outside, uh, you know, the window. It may be uh, a dumpster or, you know, something else that that, that may be unhealthful. Uh, he said that surfaces in schools re-equilibrate uh, the microbial load within two days after cleaning. So uh, whatever the load is before cleaning within two days, it's going to be back to what it was like before. And he also emphasized the importance of... Teachers uh, participating in maintaining uh, cleanliness in schools, and that how that helps uh, in, in improve student performance. So we could go over to John. Perhaps he has uh, comments on Dr. Shaughnessy and what he had to say, or him personally, etc. John, anything you'd like to add?
4: The um, well, just one thing. He he wasn't able to talk too much about it. Uh, but I am aware that he is working on a study, a school study now, where where their focus is, frankly, on on uh, classroom desks and desktops. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically, they're looking at if you if you are more effectively clean them, not only you know can you test and verify that they are um, cleaner. But will the, the question that they're, they're asking and hoping to answer is, will it have a measurable effect on attendance rates? Will, will, will children be get sick less often? Will they be in school more often uh, if we have more effective cleaning? And, and they identified uh, it's not the only area, as Cliff mentioned, uh, indoor air and ventilation rates are huge. But in terms of surfaces, they... Have identified the desktops as a key area, and so that's what they're measuring. So, I I believe that that is an actually I know it's an ongoing study. Uh, they do not have they have and they don't I wouldn't even say they have preliminary results. They have enough information that they were given the go ahead to move forward. Uh, so, you know, on them on a deeper level. And they are also doing the study in uh, different parts of the country. I believe uh, what Richard is working on, Gene Cole is also working on uh, somewhere on the East coast as well. All right. Let's Cliff, let's move on to
3: Andrew Meyer. Um, Right. uh, Dr. Meyer. Um, what, What he reported was that in the media, Uh, And I've read this myself, I've heard this myself, that cleaning products uh, used indoors make people sick, and uh, that cleaning processes make people sick. And, you know, this could potentially be fake news. Uh, The fact that it's in the media doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. And what he stressed is we don't know if it's the products that make people sick that they react to, if it's the processes uh, that people react to, or if it's the, uh, cleanliness, uh, the things are too clean. Uh, and the, the, the fact that people, the, the fact that young people aren't exposed to, uh, soils and some of the beneficial things that may be in soils. So this, uh, this cleanliness, uh, phenomenon, hmm. uh, he talked about a study that was done, by healthcare workers. And uh, they, get, they took the healthcare workers, they gave them a couple of products, one uh, that contained ammonia, another one which contained uh, acetic acid, people might know that better, is white vinegar. And we're trying to determine, uh, because the, both those products can be irritants, uh, and they studied them. And they really didn't find that uh, that they in, that, you know that they irritated people, so I guess the- his bottom line was we really don't know whether it's the products, the processes, or the cleaning hypothesis that are causing uh, increases in asthma rates
1: you know while you're talking about that, I'm just thinking they're also cleaning things that you know need clean, so they're they're exposed while they're cleaning to various bacteria and fungi and viruses, et cetera. So I think we've got a little way to go on that one. Um, Let's, let's skip on down to David Harry. Um, Unless John, did you have something you wanted to add there?
4: Uh, If uh, just a couple things very quickly. One is uh, it seemed like uh, a lot of the work that uh, uh, Dr. Mayer was working on is related to asthma. So he's kind of focused on that particular area uh, and the other thing is, and this is kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pat us on the back is he's somebody that we really don't do not have not traditionally known in the industry. Uh, he came to us through our efforts, our outreach to some of the universities around Miami and Ohio. I think he actually is, a, uh, is a scientist uh, affiliated with the university of Cincinnati. And as a consequence, you know, I, something I'm kind of proud of is that we're able to bring in some people like him and get them involved and better understanding uh, the cleaning industry. And he spoke to me at the end of the conference and let me know how much he appreciated doing it. And that he really wants to become more involved. He he can see a whole different area of um, uh, collaboration for him and other scientists. So, as we expand our our reach into the science community i think we're going to be able to provide better information into the cleaning and risk rest- restoration remediation industries all
1: right that's an interesting uh, addition there let's let's move over to david harry cliff you want to give us some thoughts on
3: history? Sure. Um, I, I never knew this, but uh, the mop or the string mop that, that is commonly used was invented in, in 1893, mm-hmm. and it started falling out of favor in around 2002. And the modern standard operating procedure for mopping floors, you know, for instance, in a hospital or uh, school, uh, et cetera, was to put three gallons of uh, cleaning solution in a bucket and mop uh, three rooms with it. And uh, one of the things that he said is that the same procedure was used in schools and and in hospitals. And, you know, we look at our body and, you know, the skin is the biggest organ in our body. What he said was in a hospital, the floor is the biggest organism in the hospital. Mm. And that floors have both transient and resident bacteria, the bacteria that's commonly found there, and then they have transient bacteria that's, uh, you know, that's tracked in by people. Uh, he said that there was a study at the Cleveland, at a Cleveland hospital that showed 44%, and this is scary, of hospital rooms have resident C. diff. Hmm. He said that 85% of non-slip socks. When you go into a hospital, they give you these socks so you're not going to slip. And they Mm -hmm. did some testing of these socks and that they had uh, VRE, which is a antibiotic uh, resistant bacteria were found uh, in 85% of these socks. Uh, He said that they found MRSA in 90% of these socks. Uh, He said that mops... Uh, can maintain microbial contamination after commercial laundering. And that they use something that's called microfiber, which is a synthetic uh, material, and that these microfiber mops have to be cleaned in a separate process. And because they're plastic derivatives, they can melt at temperatures and they can uh, entwine with themselves and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, The bottom line is his opinion on these uh, is that mops shouldn't be used. Uh, The replacement that they should use is a microfiber uh, mop. It's more of a pad and that they should be disposed of after each use. And they actually did a study from cradle to grave and found that throwing away or disposing of these uh, microfiber pads after a single use was actually better for the environment than using and, and washing mops. So, uh, John may have some comments on uh, David Harry and, and his presentation. John?
4: Uh, yeah, just real quick. Uh, the one thing that uh, I picked up that uh, stuck with me is that what he said was with microfiber they are extremely effective at capturing soils and contaminants. And that's the re because they are so effective at grabbing and holding them. That's what the reason why laundering them is pretty ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's because that, because of the fact that laundering is ineffective, that the reuse issue leads to cross contamination. Uh, and, they they did do some studies where they looked at mops that had been um, uh, used for cleaning, you know, they, they, they kind of looked at it after each cleaning, you know, after each use and then each subsequent cleaning. And it just kept building up more and more and more until you had very dirty in terms of contaminant uh, load mops, even right after they had been laundered. So uh, Hmm. both for the, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, he feels as though in the future we're going to be moving away from, uh, you know, uh, microfiber. And that is the standard today in most commercial, most not all, but most commercial settings is microfibers. Uh, but the um, single-use microfiber uh, mop is probably, he feels, is, is going to become the standard especially in healthcare settings. Oh, one other thing that, that really surprised
3: me that he said that remind that John stimulated this was that some microfibers actually neutralize disinfectants and the two disinfectants that can be neutralized are two very commonly used ones, uh, quats and, and chlorine bleach. So that was a little scary.
1: All right, gentlemen, we're we're right at halftime here, so I think we're going to stop and thank our sponsors. And it kind of worked nicely because it looks like uh, session number two is next up on our list. So when we come back, we'll be talking more with John Donnie and the
2: Z-Man about this week's Siri Science Conference. Siri, the Cleaning
1: Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at SiriScience.org. That's C I R I science.org. All right, we're back and we're going to have to keep moving here. We've got a lot of great presentations to summarize for you from the recent Siri conference. Let's go to session number two. Which was titled Down and Dirty Research to Practice, Practice to Research. So, John Richter was the first speaker there. I want to get the Z Man to
3: go ahead and give us some highlights from John Richter's presentation. Uh, he did a very interesting study, and, and what he was looking at is they wanted to determine whether or not you could clean floors with recycled solution, whether or not that would be feasible. So you're mopping floors, and whether or not you had to throw the water away after a single use, or whether or not it could be recycled, and how many, and if it could be recycled, how many times. Uh, And what they did is they uh, created an acceptable standard uh, of soil removal, and what they found was, yes, uh, in a non-critical area such as, you know, like in a, uh, you know, not in a hospital, but perhaps in a office building or whatever that, you know, that had, uh, you know, hard surface flooring that uh, the water was recyclable, uh, they... Um, ran it through a 100-micron filter uh, for floor cleaning and found that it was effective and they could utilize it up to five times. So it was something that I think people never really thought about. Uh, They they measured pH. They measured electrical conductivity, uh, soil left behind. Uh, You know, really, really good study. So I think there is some uh, opportunity for that in the future, I'm not necessarily sure why you know if, unless you're in Abu Dhabi or someplace like that, you know where you can't get water out of the tap, but um, there was an interest in it,
1: well, even in parts of you know the southwest uh, water can be very precious uh, john any anything you'd like to add there
4: yeah just just one thing I know that we're um, we have a lot more to get through, but one quick addition to that was I think where they feel that there is a uh, benefit is and, and is a time benefit. If you can recycle the water, you don't have to be going back and forth, stopping and going back and and draining and filling. Uh, so you have less water use, or you have less time spent filling and dumping. Uh, you also have are using less water and less chemical potentially. Although there were some questions that were brought up about the chemical usage and and whether it continues to have the same effectiveness as it's being reused that I, I don't think John had addressed that issue in his research so it just kind of pointed to the fact that more research is is probably going to be helpful in determining how how valuable this is I sure wish
1: we could figure out why you start out low, and then it comes on strong at the end, John. I'm not sure what's going on with the audio, but uh, we'll keep trying. Hey, let's go to the next one. Uh, Michael Pinto did a, sec, uh, a, a study on uh, what remediating fungal-contaminated commercial carpet. Cliff, any thoughts?
3: Yeah, well, uh, what it was is he presented a case study uh, and, and what the study demonstrated was the feasibility of remediating uh, fungal-contaminated commercial carpet in this particular situation. Uh, you know, it, it, it worked well. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think he, he uh, was a little bit overzealous in presenting the information because, uh, you know, he went on to say that uh, he thought that this could potentially work in situations where the carpeting was contaminated with sewage. I don't think he realized that there were some experts on carpet and fibers uh, in the audience and some folks from the IICRC, I think particularly Larry Cooper, who tended to uh, disagree with him. But uh, all in all, uh, Michael came up to me afterwards and he said, uh, you know, Cliff, would you not agree that it's either clean or it's not? And I just told him it depends, you know, because you know what's clean in a hospital, what's acceptable for uh you know, someone with immune comp uh, that's immune compromised is different than you know what's clean elsewhere. So I think they're different uh levels of clean. So uh perhaps John has some comments on this. John
4: Yeah, um just a couple, I hope. Uh one one thing is that Michael's um talk was based on a paper that we published also this summer in cleaning science quarterly and and i'll be candid in telling you that um in cleaning science quarterly some of that enthusiastic talk was muted because it had to be uh, as a result of uh some peer review comments so um you know the, it, it it seems as though it is fair to say that there are situations where it can be done but they are limited situations, um, maybe more limited than, than Michael expressed. Uh, and maybe, you know, in, in a, 15 minute presentation, maybe you can't get to all of it, but mm-hmm. it, it was, uh, it is significantly limited. Although, I mean, what, one point that he made and quite frankly, this was made during the peer review process with the paper is that the stand, you know, uh, he, he was talking about can this be done and be in compliance with the uh with the standards and he looked at the standards and found that there is not per se a prohibition against it or a requirement that the uh, materials be uh, that carpet be um, uh, removed if there is mold contamination on it that that is a professional judgment issue and so um, without getting into too much, it's, it's also a question that perhaps the people that uh, are writing standards need to address to make sure we're in good you know in good stead in that way and uh, things are clear. Uh, I, wh- what you said, Cliff, about uh, sewage situations, you know in, in all I would think that it, because we're not just talking in sewage situations, In fact, we're not talking primarily in sewage situations about mold. We're talking about uh, other kinds of very bad bugs that uh, can be a problem. And and I'm not sure that uh, the standards would accept Michael's um, uh, perspective that in that situation, that would be more something that would fall under the S500. And my understanding is in sewage situation that that pretty much – Uh, Most uh, uh, surfaces, such as carpet, would need to be replaced in those situations. So uh, there needs to be clarification in the standards, uh, which will help guide people like Michael in in their future uh, efforts to uh, figure out what we can uh, clean, what we can remediate, and what we have to replace.
1: Yeah, that's a complicated topic, and it doesn't seem like – it's one study or 15 minute presentation is going to answer a lot of the questions, you know, what, what's contaminated? Is it condition three? How much is condition three? Are they HEPA vacuuming first and then using some other product? So it it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done in that area, but it's important work. And I think um, if, if we find that it can be clean, certainly a lot of building owners will be much happier than uh, you know, removing and replacing thousands of square feet of commercial carpet. So I guess it's uh, one of those things that we'll be following as time goes on and we'll report back to listeners. Let's go to the next presentation from Gene Cole. Uh, we just had Gene on not too long ago on I Radio, Dr. Cole, uh, Cliff, give us your thoughts on his
3: presentation. Well, uh, this was one of the, well, I thought they were all good. This was one of my favorite ones, uh, you know, Gene said that there are 60, in the US, there are 67,000 facilities serving 9 million residents, of which 90% or more are 65 years uh, or older. I uh, said that the elder population has a higher uh, susceptibility to disease. He said that facilities are killing patients with their lack of infection control measures. And he just, he told a story, he said, you know, what will happen is they have a patient uh, or they have you know, a resident in one of these homes. Uh, the resident uh, develops a fever. They uh, try to treat the fever. They're, they're unsuccessful. Uh, they take the patient to the hospital and then the facility gets a call from the hospital that the patient uh, has succumbed and that uh, there's, so they have this room in which someone got sick in who, who later died, and they have a waiting list in the facility for that room. And he said, it's not unusual for very little or no deep cleaning to be done before they uh, put another occupant into that room. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, if and he said, number one, the family never asks questions about, uh you know the, the patients demise uh and that uh, you know what's scary is there's no published standard protocols for cleaning. But I, I I you know the fact that he pointed this out and you know today's society it, it's I think it's unforgivable and we should be doing way, way better. Interesting. That sounds like
1: a, an area that's got a lot of potential uh needs. John, would you like to add anything?
4: I would just uh, just say uh, amen to what Cliff said. I, I felt as he did, it was a very good presentation and And what Gene did more than anything was he, he pointed out the obvious that we all miss, or I shouldn't say we all miss, but seem to miss. Uh, but the fact that you know this is a this, these are environments where you have compromised people uh, that are, you know, I mean, that's who, that's who who are in these environments. And, uh, and yet our standards, uh, for cleaning and disinfection are, well, virtually nil. Um, it's up to the, you know, there, there are very few standards in place. So, uh, as you said, it's, it's something that, uh, really need And, and they're growing, and in, in terms of the need is growing astronomically as the baby boomers like us are retiring and getting old and getting shipped, shipped into the, um, uh, these facilities. So, uh, you know, now that we're getting, now that we're getting close, I want to make sure they're taking better care of.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. The next presentation was actually by my co-host, the Z Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Cliff, do you want to summarize real quick for listeners what you thought?
3: Yeah, that was pretty simple. Uh, what I did was I just demonstrated a practical method to test the odor barrier properties of uh, smoke sealers that are used in fire restoration. So it was pretty simple, down and dirty, and. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I was able to achieve what I wanted to in the study. I, I think it's uh, it can be compared. So I think that was what I wanted to prove.
1: And you just used people's sense of smell for the comparison. Is that accurate? For the,
3: yes, uh, people's sense of smell. I had a panel of five people. Uh, you know, we, we took uh, blocks of wood. We contaminate, contaminated them with a very strong smoky odorant. It was actually an essential oil made from burnt wood. Uh, very very strong very extreme task. and uh you know we were able to uh you know to get a clear winner one product uh outperformed uh the other
1: and we'll talk more about that at this year's healthy building summit uh 2019 at seven springs october 16 to 18 let's go uh, uh before we go john anything you want to add on cliff's presentation
4: No, no, it was it was a good presentation. It's kind of what one of the things that I'd really like to see um, Siri and the industry develop more that and and when you go to the next presentation, which was is kind of similar, you know, kind of basic uh, practical research that that, uh, not only has to, you know, not research that has to be done by scientists but uh, practical things that people can do for themselves to give them an idea. And uh, it's one of the things that with theory, we really want to uh, start emphasizing and finding ways to uh, promote and develop in the industries that we serve. All right,
1: let's move on. We're going to run out of time here, folks. We've got the next one uh, is a panel moderated by Ralph Moon, Dr. Moon. Practical and Effective Uses of Measurements of Cleaning Effectiveness started with Peter Edelstein, um, commercial carpet cleaner from Brazil. That sounds interesting, Cliff.
3: He was. Uh, I happened to be there for the aha moment. Uh, I was speaking with John and Dr. Spivak at the Siri booth at the ISSA show, and all of a sudden this this young, handsome gentleman kind of shows up, and you know he has a uh, IICRC patch on a shirt, and it turned out that uh, he's a professional commercial carpet cleaner who has very, very high-end clientele uh, commercially, you know, Apple and Amazon and companies like that that he cleans for uh, down in uh, Brazil. And he uses ATP uh, sampling of carpet uh, to, to prove to the customers that the carpeting is clean, And, uh, you know, he can actually prove how clean it is. He guarantees a 70% uh, improvement uh, in the ATP readings uh, before and after cleaning. But, I mean, his English is a lot more better. It's much better than my Portuguese, and it's just (laughs) great that, you know, somebody can communicate, you know, with an audience. And I mean, speaking of communication, uh, there was a, uh, an attendee from Japan, and uh, this person was provided with uh, a, an interpreter, uh, you know, at the Siri conference. So, you know, there was a, uh, I guess someone who will remain nameless who uh, provided that service, and it was great to have a, a woman in a booth, and she would instantly translate stuff into Japanese, so. Wow. Very impressive. Wow.
1: Um, let's let's go on to uh, Chris Rosnowski. Unless, John, do you have anything you wanted to add on the last one?
4: No. Right. I, I, pretty much the same thing I'd say with Peter, as I said with with Cliff. Good, useful, practical research. All
3: right. Chris Rosnowski, Cliff. Joe, you know, on our show, uh, you know, over the past 10 or 12 years, you know, we've discussed those on a number of occasions. We've discussed the... Uh, uh, hydroxyl radicals, and, um, you know, we had asked some, some questions, and no one really seemed to, to answer uh, the questions of, you know, whether or not uh, these treatments could uh, react adversely with environments, and uh, Chris uh, is in Canada, and he talked about two specific uh situations in which homes suffered small fires, the damage would have been $100,000 or less. And in both of these situations, uh, hydroxyls, ozone, uh, you know, were utilized and made the, the homes toxic uh, to the point that the homeowners uh, cannot occupy them and that they're going to end up uh, being bulldozed. So claims that went from could have been settled for under a hundred thousand dollars are now being settled for uh greater than a million in, in both situations. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Let's, let's go to another, I've got one more here or two more in that panel, Jeff Uh, Mer- uh
3: This fellow works for Giannitronics and what he talked about was uh, when a decision was made to, uh, include ATP in Janitronics commercial cleaning, the reaction of the staff and the employees. Uh, some people uh, really embraced it. They they wanted to sample everything. And then they said the other group didn't want to sample anything. And they had to figure out exactly what to sample and, and how to sample it and how to implement it. And they encountered confusion uh, in, in using it and Uh, he explained how they solved all the, all the problems, but uh, you know, they have, they've, it's served them extremely, extremely well. And it's been a great differentiator. Uh, You know, their embracing of that technology has put them uh, way ahead of their competitors. John, anything you'd like to add?
4: Well, he did, he did mention that they lost one account uh, as a result of ATP testing because uh, the hospital's methodology for using it uh, was way off of, of what was intended, but uh, once they got it in their heads that their, their measurements uh, were way higher than what janitronics were, they, they really weren't able to, uh, to uh, save that particular account. So you also pointed out you know, that you know, it's one of those things that can be very useful but you've got to be careful and know how you're using it in order for it to be uh, effective in communicating cleaning effectiveness uh, to your customers. Well, let me just explain what happened. Uh, when uh
3: was using the ATP, they would use a little template, and they would be sampling a, a very small area of consistent size for comparison. When the hospital did it, they would rub it all over uh, big sections of walls and in different rooms and so on and so forth. So it really was not a, uh, a fair comparison. All right, we've got one more from that session.
1: Andrew Meyer. Cliff, let's get your summary, and then we'll get, uh, get John's thoughts
3: sure. on it. Sure. Uh, in pharmaceutical plants, they, they use something which is called good manufacturing, uh, good manufacturing process and, or practice, and this requires that the cleaning be validated. And the FDA, uh, this cleaning was normally validated with white tests. And now what's required is the FDA requires that a risk-based calculation actually be made, uh, taking to account uh, residues of cleaning products, and probably more importantly, residues of drugs, active ingredients, or inactive ingredients that could be left uh, in, in a manufacturing tank or vessel after cleaning. So the government's Uh, worried about this cross-contamination, and it's a very, very uh, complex process. So, uh, I mean, there's really, really a lot to it. John? Uh, John, anything you'd like to add?
4: No, I I think uh, Cliff did better than I possibly could have on that one. one We've got
1: two more sessions, Jensen. We're running a little short on time. Um, I'm I'm fine. I could stay as long as you want, or we could uh, maybe break this into two shows. I just want to get your thoughts.
3: Um, uh, up to you, John. John,
4: I feel the same way. There's actually three more sessions. A total of ele- I think probably eleven more, ten or eleven more presenters. There's sessions four, five, and six. So, you stick uh, around, John, or do you? Do you have to run? I I can, I mean, if you want to go for it and go ahead and finish it today, I'm okay with that. Well, I was
1: thinking we could replay this as part two when we take our summer break as well, and then we could just get her done today and have one in the can.
4: I'm okay with that, too. All okay.
1: right. Before we do that, though, let's go to the roundup for this first segment, and we're going to bring in the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. I hope we've got you, Pete.
5: Hey, pete. hey guys can you hear me yeah oh, man. pete got a couple thoughts. Yeah. So, hey joe that um this last panel you just talked about i was the moderator for the atp ralph, ralph moon had done the the panel two the one before that i uh, i wound up doing two panels this one and uh, the panel five i think john did four and then uh I think Steve Spivak did the wrap-up panel. If I agree that there's too much information here to cover in one show, it really is a two-part show if you want to do it justice. You know, the I think the evaluations that uh, Cliff's been doing are fabulous and, uh, you know, John's been kind of dovetailing off of that. A lot of really important information, so you know, Cliff, I'm sure, probably already has the blog, you know, almost done because, uh, you know, he took the copious notes and that's what's allowing them to, uh, you know, to uh, do the dialogue on the show. Uh, I, I, the comments that I have, um, and it's kind of is gonna, you know, maybe lead to uh, a couple of the follow-up panels that we're talking about. I was uh, two big key messages that I got out of out of the event. The the really the importance of creating awareness with the general public and all the customers per se of the cleaning industry be it property owners uh, insurance companies um, the uh, you know the, the people who manage all the facilities and the hospitals and the schools and all this is it, to really impress upon them the importance of cleaning uh, things validated through the research because of these super bugs which are building resistance at alarming rates, and, you know, and then the, the, the new next thing comes along, which, uh, which Greg Whiteley talked about. And um, so uh, I think it's an important message, you know, and in my mind, this is something I think that falls in, in under this kind of advocacy movement that's starting to bubble up. You know, a lot of the essence of the advocacy really starts with issues around the software programs and the pricing and the resistance from the TPAs. But what are the roots of all that? The roots of that is disagreement in scope of work. And how do you validate scope of work? Well, through the standards. Well, how do you evaluate the standards? Through the research, by asking the questions and then having factual information that can validate scope, that validates the standards, that then filters down, and this is the process. So in my mind, that falls under, under the advocacy umbrella. The other thing that I found is the passion and the commitment that uh, these residential house cleaners have is uh is really something you know they they tend to to be i guess in certain areas maybe they deal in more of the high-end residential type cleaning or cleaning for people that have uh um you know asthma or some other kind of um you know medical affliction that they they need more detailed cleaning and uh you know, we've you've had shows in the past and that Dave Mason on his Santa Clean process and others that have addressed that, but I I didn't realize it until I you know listened to David Geiser talk. Who he, he's kind of he he's kind of I see I, I see him as my counterpart for that segment of the industry. The way I advocate for restores. and um, he he cares so much uh, about the work that they do and the and and the people who do that work care so much about their customers i mean it was so obvious and uh and they you know it, it's a calling for these guys and this is why i suggested that they have a very interesting story and i think it'd be worthy of a show you know we were talking kind of before we locked up so um to me that that was that was a big and 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 that was reinforced by uh the one gentleman from the, the uh, international housekeepers uh alan and then uh, there's Bill McGarvey, uh, McGravy or McGarvey. Both of them, along with David, talked about the fact that there's that these cleaners have no respect. They're looked down upon. They, they have no self. They feel like, you know, nobody gives them any self-worth. And that's an important part of their job of the work they do uh, to raise that image. And, you know, in many ways, the restoration industry ha- have those same issues. So there's a connection there uh, that kind of rang through you know message through a number of those panels and um, it jumped, it kind of jumped off the screen at me. So anyway, those, those are my thoughts. I think there's more work to be done. I think uh, John did a very impressive uh, job of putting this together, um, you know, uh, with the feedbacks idea and the SAC committee and, uh you know, there was. A, I think there's going to be a really uh, a, a, an important and powerful evaluation of. Uh, we got tons of evaluations in. You know that came in. I know John and his staff. They need to go through those, discern them, and then you know make decisions of how they want theory to move forward in the future and what kind of programs and you know how can they effectively you know get more uh, people engaged. You know as they start to build their membership categories and everything. And you know, of course. Uh, Cliff, myself, and the show and others, you know, we're gonna we're gonna help support it because you know we believe in those things. We think it's important work for the industry. So anyway, that's that's my report as I'm as I as I'm uh, carefully following the law, going down the Interstate 80 <laughs> and to the Big Apple on my summer camp road trip. I'll see you at Summer Camp Boys. And uh, I'm following the law, total hands-free on my iPhone, and uh, I got my seatbelt synced in. Back to you, Joe.
1: Thank you, Pete. Always appreciated. All right, uh, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thank you so much to um, my co-host, the Z Man Cliff Zlotnick, and of course our guest for today, John Donnie. I know you are probably going to sleep well this weekend uh, after after all the hard work of preparing for a uh, conference, especially a science-based conference. Um, you know, putting cleaning and science together has been. I think it's it's imperative that uh, if the industry is going to continue to, to move forward and uh, continue to proffer, profit, uh, we're going to have to combine science with cleaning and, of course, health. So I appreciate both of you taking the time to join us today. And, uh, of course, John Faith. Uh, John, you got to have faith at the controls. Uh, I want to thank Pete, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog Consigli, for also joining us for the first half of the show. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying we'll see you next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio
0: Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.